I'm Pete Pedro Hoffmeister, and this is the Boring is a Swear Word podcast. Today we've got episode 11, the how to fail in sports episode. And you have to understand, I grew up with athletes all around me. My grandfather played two sports in college. My uncle was a Division I All-American football player in college. My cousin was an All-American basketball player. My dad went to Stanford on a football scholarship, then switched to baseball and ended up playing in the College World Series for the number one team in the nation. My mom was a competitive swimmer. My older sister was a college cross-country runner. My younger sister played college soccer in England. My brother played college football before becoming a professional snowboarder. My best friend's little brother, who I lived with, became one of the top professional skateboarders in the world. So I was surrounded by athletes, and sports were more than emphasized in my family. It wasn't, are you going to play in college? It was, will you earn a Division I scholarship? And I maybe wasn't the best athlete in my family. But I worked hard and had some successes of my own. In high school, I earned all league honors or better in five different sports. I was voted Defensive Player of the Year in soccer. I ran Junior Olympics, won a state title in the 3000, went to nationals twice, and finished seventh in an international track meet. I wrestled Division I for the University of Oregon, went to nationals in freestyle wrestling and in Greco-Roman wrestling, went to world team trials, and was ranked fifth in the nation. At the end of college, I was training in mixed martial arts and boxing, thinking I was going to become a UFC fighter. But just after I was offered my first casino fight to start on the professional MMA path, I became obsessed with mountains and rock climbing and turned in that direction instead, becoming an endurance athlete. I then was an outdoor athlete gear tester for Nike for years. And now, I'm a brand ambassador athlete for Richmond Outfitters and Elevation Bouldering. So I know the world of athletics because I've been in athletics my entire life. And the thing is, if you play enough sports, if you work and train and obsess long enough, if you put yourself out there, then you'll not only experience some modicum of success whatever that means for you, but you'll also fail over and over. Fail so many times that you won't even remember all of your own failures. But this is a good thing. Failure has taught me so many important lessons. Not only humility and an understanding of my place in this world, which is, I'm just a good enough athlete to know how great the divide is between someone like me and someone truly excellent. Someone like me versus someone like Sabrina Ionescu or Damian Lillard. Someone like Serena Williams or Tommy Caldwell. Failure has shown me how to succeed, what might lead to success and what might not, and how to work on my weaknesses, which carries over to other areas of my life. There's a Mexican soccer phrase that I love because I relate to it. It goes like this. Jugarón. Como nunca, perdieron 
como siempre, which translates to English as, they played like never before. They lost as usual. The first and easiest way to fail in sports is to cheat. If you cheat in a game, if you cheat in an athletic pursuit, then it invalidates everything that came before and everything that happens after. My junior year in high school, I was playing for the number one soccer team in the state. We'd won 13 games in a row. We were completely unstoppable. We would travel around the state and defeat the top teams in night games as visitors. People would rain down booze on us. I was going to school in Tennessee and I was the palest person on this team. We were a team of only people of color. And we would go in to play night games against these Catholic schools of all white players. And the fans in the stadium would yell at us. They would yell the N-word at our team. Because we had a lot of people of color. They would yell the N-word and they would throw things at us. And we would come in and we would play hard and we would escape with a victory and they would throw things at us and yell the N-word as we left the stadium as well. It was an incredible experience. So we went to play a multi-state tournament. We went to play a tournament down on the Tennessee and Georgia border. So it was called the Gatlinburg-Pittman Tournament. We went down to play this incredible soccer tournament, and we, in the semifinals, faced up against the best team we would match up against in this tournament. And they had a first-team all-state striker. And I played center back. I was voted defensive player of the year because I played physically. I wasn't very tall, but I played hard. And I would chip and foul as much as the refs would allow. And I would mostly just play good, hard defense. But in this game, I was matched up against a striker who had eight inches on me in height. And he had an incredible vertical as well. And late in the game, with the score tied one to one, their center mid sent a ball over the top. And it was going towards the weak side of the goal. Our keeper was on the right side. It was going towards our left side. And the striker and I broke back on the ball. And we went up for headers. And I realized kind of in a moment of physical awareness, not really cognitive awareness, but just physical awareness, that I wasn't going to get to the ball. And the ball spun over the top. And the striker headed it a yard off of me. And he headed it right on goal, on frame, towards the left corner. And in a moment of mental weakness, I flipped up my left hand. And I hit the ball with my hand. And I flicked it just over the corner post. I cheated. It was a handball on defense. It was a handball on in the box. It was a handball when I was beaten. I didn't head it. I flicked it with my hand. And as we came down, I knew it was going to be a penalty shot. And I knew, of course, that this first team All-State striker would hit the penalty. And they would go up 2-1. to one. 
and we would probably lose the game. But as we landed on our feet, and the striker looked at me, and then at the ref, and then I looked at him, and I looked at the ref, and I looked at our keeper, and none of us could believe what I'd just done. The ref, somehow, maybe blocked by bodies, I don't know, didn't see it. He didn't see the handball in the box. He didn't call a penalty. And we escaped to play with a goal kick. And it was one-to-one. And soon after that, our striker Lee scored on a breakaway. And we won the game. But I know, I know forever that we didn't win the game. That I cheated. And that everything that came before didn't matter. And that everything that came after didn't matter. Because in that moment, I was a cheater. Another great way to fail is to make excuses. So I'll use youth track as an example. When you run Junior Olympics and TAC youth track, you run in two-year age brackets. Name things like midget, bantam, youth. So sometimes you're at the bottom of the age bracket and sometimes you're at the top. Every other year it switches. So you end up facing different people. And if you're one of the best runners... You might be at the bottom of the bracket and struggle a little bit one year and then be one of the top runners in the state or the region or the nation the next year. So you face different people. But in the Hershey Track Championship Series, you run only by grade. So you'd run 8th grade, ninth grade, 10th grade, 11th grade, that kind of thing. At the Hershey Track State Finals in 8th grade, I was running the mile. If you win state, You go to nationals in Pennsylvania. I thought I knew everybody on the line, and I was pretty sure I was going to win state that year. But then I looked up, and there was somebody I hadn't raced against before. His name was Billy Harper, and I knew he grew up in Kenya. So immediately, I started to make excuses in my mind. I was like, oh, man, Kenyans run to school every day, and they run home. Kenyans have Olympic gold medalists, uncles, cousins, dads, aunts. They're amazing. Kenyans are dominant in long distances. Kenyans are phenomenal. I didn't really know anything about this Kenyan kid, but I made enough excuses. And as soon as the gun went off, I comfortably settled into second place. And I let Billy Harper go off the front end. Didn't even try to draft him. Didn't try to run with him. Didn't try to see what would happen. And at the end of the race, I finished second. And I didn't go to nationals because second at state doesn't go to nationals. Then I got pretty settled in at second place. Billy Harper was a little bit older than me, so we didn't race a lot in the age bracket. I ended up racing a kid named Tyler Bushnell from Philomath four different times in the state finals the 1500 or 3000 and I was an incredibly small kid because I wrestled I know my weight at different ages I was 62 pounds in fifth grade I was 82 pounds to start eighth grade I was 102 pounds to start high school so I was always small but it wasn't just that I was light I was also short and Tyler Bushnell was really tall He was tall and he was mature for his age. 
So while we were in the same age bracket and we faced off over and over, he was the tall kid, he was the strong kid, I was the weak kid, I was the young looking kid. And those were the excuses I made in my mind. So over and over, I was close to Tyler and then I would lose. And I lost in the 1500 final to him at state. I lost in the 3000 final to him at state. I lost in the 1500 final to him again at state and then again in the 3000 at state. And in cross country, I lost at nationals to him when he won. So Tyler Bushnell just dominated me. And, you know, in my excuse-making mind, I was like, oh, well, he won the national title, so he was just unbeatable for me. Except one year he didn't come to the state finals. I don't know if he was injured or what. But guess what place I got in that 3,000 final? Second. Not to a tall kid, not to a mature kid, not to a kid from Kenya, but to a kid who was roughly my size, roughly my weight, a short, skinny kid who went out really hard. And I let him go for five laps because I was like, oh, that pace isn't sustainable. Instead of drafting him, instead of challenging him, instead of taking the lead, I hung back. And then I finally kicked at 800 and I ended up losing to him by one second. So I got pretty good at making excuses because that I got pretty good at getting second place. Another great way to fail is to just not put in the work ahead of time. Just don't work hard enough. There's physical work. Things like flexibility training, endurance training, strength training, explosive power training, all those kinds of things. And then there's mental work. Things like learning the technical skills, making sure that you anticipate what's going to happen, that you visualize ahead of time, all that kind of stuff. And it's in that second category that I was especially good at not putting in the work. Honestly, I wasn't very good at visualization and mental preparation until my 30s as an athlete when I finally started visualizing how I would be successful on a rock climb before I'd actually done the climb. Learning things, focusing, anticipating, visualizing success, visualizing success again, going through the video of positivity. And I definitely wasn't good at those kinds of things when I was a younger athlete. But there are lots of different ways to prepare mentally. I'll give a high school football example. I was playing football for Marist Catholic High School, and we were a pretty good football team. At this point in the season, we were 7-0, undefeated, and we were facing off against 7-0, undefeated Junction City. And Junction City was the defending state champions. They had the top quarterback in the state, the state player of the year, Justin Wilcox, who's now currently the head coach of the California Bears football team in the Pac-12 conference. They also had two all-state wide receivers. On the other side, I was playing cornerback in this game on defense, and cornerback covers a wide receiver. 
I was new to Marist Catholic High School because I'd been expelled from two schools before this. And as a new athlete at their school, I decided to play football. And physically, I was prepared. Physically, I had the tools. Physically, I'd worked hard the summer coming into the season. But I'd never seen the playbook. I know that sounds crazy, but that's the kind of mental athlete I was. I just didn't put in the mental work. I went to my coaches a couple times and said, oh, yeah, I need to see the playbook. But I never went to their office and sat down and read the playbook. I just told them a couple times casually, and I think the coaches just thought, oh, he'll pick things up in practice. He'll be fine. That kid's physically ready. So I didn't read the playbook. And on offense, this was a mess because I played H, which is a running back that also catches passes out of the backfield, and I never knew exactly where my blockers were supposed to be. I never knew what hole I was supposed to go in. But on defense, I had a different problem. I didn't even know the initial breakdown of packages. The first thing we would do on defense is split between Falcon and Hawk. And that would completely differentiate the scheme. Falcon, Hawk. So we'd say something like Falcon, cover two, 17, set, break our little huddle on defense, right? Quick huddle, safety calling it out. But the thing is, I got confused between the two birds. Hawk and Falcon, in my mind, were just really similar. And I didn't know the playbook well. So sometimes my free safety would call Hawk, but I'd think Falcon. Sometimes he'd call Falcon, but I'd think Hawk. Or sometimes he'd call Hawk and I'd think Hawk. But it was always a gamble. I was never quite sure where I was supposed to be. Was I covering deep half? Was I in man press? Was I covering the flats? Who knows? So we're playing Junction City High School. They're 7-0, and ranked number one in the state. We're 7-0, and ranked number four in the state. Their all-state player of the year quarterback, Justin Wilcox, is under center. He calls out his play after we've called out our defensive package. And I don't know if it was Falcon or Hawk. It was either Hawk or Falcon or Falcon or Hawk. I'm not really sure. And as soon as Justin Wilcox hikes that ball, I bump the All-State wide receiver, and then I go into the flats to cover the running back or the fullback coming out on the left side in front of me. Only right away, I know something's wrong. Because our outside linebacker also shifted into the flats. And I realize I got the birds backwards again. So I turn around and look. And I am not exaggerating when I say that the all-state wide receiver was open by 30 yards. He'd just run a straight go route. And he was wide open by 30 yards. First team all-state wide receiver. And the first team all-state player of the year quarterback, Justin Wilcox, dropped back planted his feet, and threw to his all-state wide receiver. And I turned around, and I ran. I tried to cover as much ground as possible, and I was short and fast, and I never got within 25 yards of that wide receiver. And we just both sprinted towards the end zone. And the state player of the year, the all-state quarterback, he threw a deep ball, and that ball sailed over my head, 
and it bounced in between me and the wide receiver. Miraculously, Justin Wilcox had underthrown his wide receiver by about 10 yards. Just must have slipped off his pinky. I don't know what happened to that ball. But it bounced in between us. And immediately, my DB coach, he called me over to the sideline, substituted for me, got me out of the game. And he said, what are you, an idiot? And I said, apparently. A fourth way to fail in sports is to not trust your instincts. If you've done all the training and all the preparation, if you're ready to go, your instincts help you so much in an athletic pursuit. For this example, I'll use wrestling. I was at the S-Bar National Championships in Purdue, Indiana. I was trying to make the uh, world team, so it was the world team trials. And I was in the round of 16 in a Greco-Roman tournament. I was winning my match. I was dominating my match. And my opponent started to stall. He didn't want to get thrown for five. He didn't want to get pinned. So he was just stalling, stalling, stalling on his feet. So the ref called him for stalling and put him down. So then I was on top, and it was my turn to try to score on the mat. And in Greco, you can't touch your opponent's legs. It's not like freestyle or folk style wrestling. So it's all upper body. And my coach that day was the U.S. Olympic team coach, Ron Finley. He, he had been an Olympian in Greco and freestyle, and he was the Olympic team coach in Greco in 84. He was an amazing coach. And I looked up at him, and he said, run a gut wrench, which is where you wrap your arms around your opponent's gut. You lock off, cut one side or the other to get an angle, and you turn them. But the thing was, in wrestling, you're often injured. Sometimes you're significantly injured, but you still wrestle. And at that point, I had torn cartilage on the left side of my rib cage. So I popped a rib out, and I was in a lot of pain. I popped it back in, but the cartilage was still torn. There was a separation there. And I knew I was hurt. And a gut gut wrench, while a logical call and an easy way to turn somebody for points if you're stronger than them, which I was stronger than my opponent, that's an easy call, and I know why Coach Finley called that. But the thing was, I knew how hurt I was on the left side of my rib cage. And in that moment... I should have gone for a front quarter. My quarter Nelson would have probably turned and pinned my opponent, just knowing that opponent and knowing me and knowing that was one of my best moves. So my instinct said front quarter. My coach said run a gut wrench. I tried to go gut wrench left side to minimize the impact on my rib cage. But right as I went to turn him, I accidentally trapped his elbow against my rib cage against the left side, just to the left of my sternum. And not only did the cartilage go, but I snapped my rib. And as the ref put it afterwards, he thought somebody had fired a gun. He was like, 
I thought somebody had shot a pistol, but it was the sound of my rib breaking. And I immediately just fell to my side and then lay on my back, holding my rib cage. And I was pinned. And that was it. I didn't make final eight in the tournament. Didn't make the world team. I should have trusted my instinct, gone front quarter. A fifth way to fail in sports is to let fear dominate your mind. Instead of focus and joy, exuberance, attention, just let in a lot of fear. Focus on that fear. Embrace the fear. Just fear as much as possible. And for this example, I'm going to use something really recent because it's easy to say like, oh, you know, I was really dumb. I was really unwise when I was young, but now I'm older. I'm wiser. I'm really efficient. I'm really capable. I'm really mentally strong, but I'm not. Sometimes I still make mistakes that help me to fail in sports. So for this example, I'm going to use a traditional climb. So this was only a few years ago. I was old enough and wise enough to know better, but I was traditional climbing, which means that you're placing gear that you can pull out later so that you're not scarring the rock. You're not affecting the rock. You don't need to drill bolts or anything like that. So I was on a traditional climb. My friend had told me that this trad climb was leadable. And it was in an area and in a discipline that I was pretty good at, pretty skilled at. So I went to climb this route. It was a 512A trad climb. I'd never climbed it before. Because I'd never climbed it before and I was going to try to get the first descent. I went and I top roped the climb once. And the climb suited me perfectly. So on top rope, you're completely safe. The rope is through anchors above you. And when you fall, you don't really go anywhere. You just stretch the rope a little bit and hang. Maybe fall a foot or two, that's all. So I top roped the climb. And kind of amazingly to me, I got it on my first try. And it went up the left side of this arete. And then in the last 12 feet, you came around the corner and you climbed this face and you lunged for the final hold and you pulled yourself over the overhang. And I thought, man, this is the perfect climb for me. It's awesome. So then I came down and I rested for 10 minutes and I shook out my forearms and I felt ready to go and I put on my lead helmet and I racked up my cams and my nuts and I was ready to go. And I started leading the climb and I got through the first 10 feet, placed gear, linked up the gear, kept climbing, placed some more gear to the left, felt really good, felt really in control. I was going to climb this route very first day on it, 512A trad route, that would be awesome. And I kept climbing and placing gear and then I placed an incredibly good piece, something that was totally secure. And then I went from the left arete around the corner to the final face. And all I needed to do was do exactly what I had just done 15 minutes ago and just climb that face, lunge for the final hold, get it, pull over the lip, finish the climb. But I started to let fear creep in. I started to think, well, what if I fell here? And then I was like, well, if I fall here, 
I'll fall and swing around the corner. And then what if that piece pulled? And instead of telling myself, no, that piece is really, really secure. You're totally fine. You're totally safe. I thought, yeah, but what if? What if that piece pulled? And what if the shock of that piece pulling and me falling further? You know, what if, what if that shock loaded the next piece of gear? And so what if that popped out? And then suddenly I'm looking at a 30, 35 foot fall. And what if the next piece fell out? Then I'd be looking at a 40, 45 foot fall. And what if I just zippered all the pieces? What if they all pulled and I hit the ground? And if I hit the ground from near the top of the climb and all the pieces pulled, what if I broke my back? And what if I broke my back and severed my spinal cord? And what if I was laying on the ground paralyzed and I couldn't feel my legs and then for the rest of my life, I was in a wheelchair. Totally logical thinking. And as I let this spinning series of thoughts go through my mind and the fear to totally grip me, my left hand felt less secure and then my right hand felt less secure. And then I placed my foot on an incredibly good foothold, this lateral seam, but it just felt a little bit slippery. And what if the rock was seeping a little bit today? And what if my hands were sweating too much? What if I couldn't chalk up enough? And what if I fell to the ground? What if I broke my back? And what if I was paralyzed? What if I died? And then all of a sudden, I downclimbed a move. I doubted. And I just bailed. And I fell and I swung around the corner. And my perfectly good camp, my perfectly good piece held me. And I only fell six feet. And I swung to a stop, and I completely failed on the route, and I did not get the first ascent. Next to my desk, as I record these segments, there's my rock climbing gear, there's my harness, and my shoes, and my lead climbing gear, my cams my quick draws, my wrap device, my senders, all that's next to me. And as I looked over my harness, it just kind of winced. And then my harness said to me, you know, I'm embarrassed for you, but at least you were honest here. And then my harness said, ask your listeners if they'd recommend this podcast to one other person and give it five-star review. So that's what my harness would like today. And finally, I'd like to dedicate this episode to the greatest athlete I knew growing up, my dad, Charlie Hoffmeister. He was the athlete that I wanted to be. He was a Division I football player, then a Division I baseball player. He was the kind of athlete that in his 40s, he was so strong so powerful that he would play pickup tackle mud football with me and my friends, teenagers, and he would annihilate us. And that's the truth. Thank you today for listening to the Boring is a Swear Word podcast. And my-